Gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore, and you are listening to Mainland Europe's number one English language radio sports show, Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. Folks, listen, you are in for a beautiful, tasty treat tonight with the very best news, views, reviews, previews, and interviews in the world of sports. So, what is on our menu for tonight? Listen, it's uh, packed because we're going to start off with Russian football. Loco, of course, just finished up their home game with Tambov a few minutes ago. The score was. I'll have to wait for just a minute or two more. So we're going to talk with our expert, of course, Andrew Flint. And we're also going to have a look back at Dinamo's disaster in Georgia. Of course, we previewed that last week with Dmitry Derunets. Um, it, it was a difficult one. They've lost their manager and we'll speak with that with Andrew Flint. In part two, we're going to go to our beautiful Scotsman, Andy Mack. We're going to have a look back at the Liverpool-Chelsea title cider. Man United's collapsed this weekend. And of course, Garrett Bale, as we rightly predicted one month ago, that he was coming back to Spurs. So that'll be part two. In part three, our legal eagle, Isil Cody, is going to join us to talk the legalities, ins and outs of what happens when matches are called off due to COVID. Now, of course, we'll also at the end of that segment in part three, we're going to have Alex B on with the first part of our North American Sports Roundup. Now, last week, the World Athletics President, uh, Seb Coe, his spiritual leader, Mr. Diak, was jailed for thir- three years, third years, three years even. He was jailed for three years. So what does this mean for athletics and Russia in particular? We're going to discuss that with our crew, with Andrew Flint, Andy Mack, Isil Cody, and of course, Alex B. Alex B will be staying with us to give the second part of our North American Sports Roundup. That is in part four. In part five, listen, today, the Tour de France finished, yeah, a couple of months late, but it finished on Paris's Champs-Élysées. A 21-year-old Slovenian, Tadej Pogacar, he won it. But all is not as it seems. We're going to speak with Grand Fondo New York and our cycling expert, Uli Flum, about the troubling noises around what should be a really great result and a joyous time for cycling. 
That is part five, as I already mentioned in part six. Well, you know what it is. It is the big, fat, filthy quiz with our usual suspects, plus a surprise guest all the way from the United States of America. We'll also have some NFL updates as we go along during the show and US Open Golf as well. So a lot to pack in for the next two hours. We're going to start with Russian football because, of course, it was a kind of a mixed weekend for our capital clubs. Spartak and Siska both won. Siska won uh, one nil away in Ufa. Spartak two one out in or two nil, excuse me, out in Rubin. Lena Suski not happy with that. Um, on Friday, Krasnodar battered the daylights out of poor El Himki seven two. Uh, and tomorrow, Dinamo at seven o'clock, kicking off at the beautiful, beautiful Dinamo Arena. They are playing Ahmad Grozny. So uh, we'll have a look at the table in just a moment. But first, we're going to go all the way to our expert, Mr. Andrew Flint. Andrew, how are you doing this evening? I'm not doing too badly, thanks. I have some lovely Latvian lager by my side and Russian football just finished in front of me. And now I have you to talk to, so it couldn't be better. Listen, this is the perfect Sunday night for me as well. We can't <laughs> do any better than this. Listen, Andrew, uh, what was the result out in the RJ Day Arena? Well, as we suggested, Locomotive desperately needed to beat a uh, struggling time off, and we did by the narrowest of margins. They ended at 1-0 winners. Fyodor Smolov scoring a fairly scrappy goal uh, Anton Medanchuk was quite bright, and but Lokomotiv had to work for the win, but they did, and they got it. So they finally have won the first game in six Premier League games. I mean, it's it's tough looking now at the table, for example. Let's just look at the table right now, where how we're sitting. Um, I didn't mention Sochi, of course, the only unbeaten team going into this uh, the eighth round of matches. They went down 3-2 against Arsenal Tula. Zenit sitting top, equal on points with Spartak, both on 17 points. Siska then are chasing hard in third place. Sochi fourth, Krasnodar fifth, and Lokomotiv, with that win, have moved up into sixth place for now. Dinamo, of course, they are in seventh place on 11 points. Himki are... Struggling down the bottom on three points, but there is very, very little covering those bottom teams. The bottom, well, let's just say that the bottom uh, five teams from Arsenal Tula all the way down to Rotor Volgograd. Rotor, of course, uh, didn't play this weekend due to coronavirus. Um, Let's just talk about local tonight. I mean, were they deserving Mm. winners overall, Andrew? They were, and they they had the quality. Tambuff are a very hard-working side, and they can be quite dangerous on the break. But Lokomotiv have they they shouldn't they shouldn't have gone five games without a win. Let's start with that. So they came into this with a bit of pressure on them to get that result. Now to beat Tambuff at home should not involve pressure, but they did have more of the possession, the shaded possession. They had six shots on goals, Tambuff's two or three, I think it was. So. They did deserve the win. It wasn't a spectacular one, but I don't think Marco Nikolic will care. Um, they've not been free scoring. They've struggled to get results together, so any win will count right now. And it gets them close to the chasing pack. It, that's exactly right. Because in, as we said at the very start of the season, they, you know, they're, they're kind of in that, um, they're in a little bit of change. Uh, they're getting young players in. Luka Djordjevic, of course, he is called up now to the first team squad for Lokomotiv um, so it's going to be tough for them but then looking at the other Moscow clubs let's, let's start off with Himke Himke going down 7-2 to Krasnodar that's an awful an awful battering for them because I genuinely didn't think they would be that badly done in well no um, and certainly before the league campaign started I really did pick out Himke as as a better place than Rotovogra to to do well this season but then of course they changed manager um Dmitry Gunko is not exactly shining, shall we say. Uh, his body language in the dugout told the story. I mean, Krasadar are a far better side, 
they do have Victor Klassen was he was absolutely sensational and he's back to almost back to his best after his cruciate ligaments injury um, but some of the goals were almost disrespectful with how, how clinical they were. Daniel Utkins, I would pick out, the sit goal where it was one-touch football, lovely control, cut inside in the box, calmly put it into the top corner. It, it was an annihilation. Um, Kim Key will want to forget this game very quickly. Yeah, I mean, we'll look ahead next week because it's not going to get any easier for them. Um, okay, or let's, let, let's, let's, let's talk about Oral Zenit because 1-1, one, one, um, a little bit of debate yes. over that game as well because from what I saw, now, I, in, admittedly, mm-hmm. I, I saw a five-minute highlight package. Uh, I thought that Oral were the better team. Well, I, I was there at the game and it was genuinely one of the best performances I've seen Oral put in. And I know I can occasionally stray towards the, um, well, slightly biased uh, opinion of Oral. But generally on the day, they were the better side of midfield. And that's not something you often say against Magomedos Doyev and Wilmar Barrios. But Barrios in particular was put under so much pressure by Branko Jovicic and Daniel Miskic in the middle. The two new players that have come in um, to Jukasenberg, they were absolutely fantastic in midfield. And in all seriousness, I actually don't think Zanit's goal probably should have stood because Mr. Juba was just about offside. Um, it looked on the replays, but it stood. They took an early lead. Oral were very confident on the ball and they were relatively clinical when it mattered. And Zanit now, that's the third time in four games they've dropped points. And although they are top of the table, it's slightly concerning, I would say, for them. Yeah, I mean, they should be doing better than that. Then again, Ural are a decent team. We know that. They're, not, they're no pushovers, especially playing at home. Um, Siska winning away in Ufa 1-0. That's a, that's a decent result for them because we were looking, thinking, oh, it's going to be tough to go to Ural. They were, or Ufa, mm-hmm. excuse me. They, they would probably win, but it wasn't going to be easy. And it wasn't easy. Well, no, it wasn't. They had to wait till the second half. And it was a substitute who got the goal, Christian Bistovic, who... When he joined Tesco, what was it, 18 months ago or, or longer back, he was he looked brilliant when he came in as a teenager with little experience. One of his first games was against Arsenal um, from the English Premier League in the Europa League, and he had a brilliant performance then. He came off the bench and scored a very nice finish. Fyodor Chalov uh, laid it off to him. In fact, both of them came off the bench just three minutes earlier. And... Um, but they started without a traditional number nine, which was a slightly odd move, I think, by Viktor Gonchrenka. I would have thought Adolfo Geich would have been a good target man to start with, but they didn't. Uh, Geich didn't come off the bench at all, but they got the job done. And Ufa is always a place you just want to get get in, get the three points, get out, and they've done the job. Yeah, that is true. It doesn't matter how, how much Ufa struggled, they, they are a very good team at home. Uh, Rubin going down to Spartak 2-1. I mean, I, I watched again... Highlight package of that match. Spartak were, 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 were beaten up in every sense. I mean, Rubin out, outshot them. They outpassed them. Um, I, I, I know that they had more, most of the possession. And yet they went down 2-0. I, I mean, is that kind of, uh, kind of pointing towards a very lucky and successful season for Spartak? I think it is starting to look like one of those seasons, Alan, isn't it? Because Spartak last season were just wildly... Inconsistent. You could you could say they were wildly Spartak in their approach to the campaign, but this season they have looked dangerous going forwards. And it's it is a bit of a cliche, but when you are that clinical going forwards, you do make your own opportunities. You make your own fortune. Um, Jordan Larson is 
I would say arguably the most dangerous forward in the league on form. Um, and he got them he got them into the lead early on. Uh, an own goal made it 2-0. And they did go down to uh, 10 men. And you know, it comes back to that physical element you mentioned about it. Pavel Maslov was... What he brought down, creature Kvadas Kelia, who he, he must take on about 10, 11, 12 players a game. And this was another one of those times he got sent off for a second bookable offence. And Spartak had to show a bit of character. And yet again, Alex Kral held them together in midfield. Yeah, I mean, because again, as I said, they're all, like it was, he was half an hour with with ten men. So I mean, it was it was a tough enough warning for them. Um, okay, we we spoke with local today. Dinamo tomorrow, Ahmad. Okay, so we will have a look ahead. Well, actually, look, we'll start off with the midweek result in Tbilisi. Oh um, Yeah, and Mr. Novikov. I mean, we I had a you, you heard it. We had a great chat, of course, with Dimitri Durunets, uh, Mr. Dinamo, and you know. He himself, he downplayed it. He was like, look, Tbilisi were given time off for this game. You know, they, they played their game earlier. They had no games before this. They were like preparing for it. And he actually said on here, he said, if we go down there and win, it's a good result. This is not going to be easy because the Georgians are going to lift their game to try and beat us. I watched most of the game, Andrew, and I have to say, I was impressed with the Georgians. They were... Well, they knew they, they planned very well. They knew they would have to hit hit Dynamo with you know with what little possession they were likely to have. But they were very very good towards the end of the game when, of course, they were trying to run down time. They even used the ball relatively well. They they didn't just simply take it out wide. They took it deep into the corners, but they they supported with at least one runner every single time, and I can understand what Dimitri was saying really because when you have it was. It's a huge game for them. I would argue, arguably, the biggest result in their in their history. They've only won was it four games ever in European football, um, and this takes them up to a really interesting stage against Granada in the next round. Um, so, Dynamo just they look flat. They look out of ideas. Um, Nikolai Komlichenko again. He wasn't clinical enough throughout the whole game, and it, you can't argue with the result. They. They deserved it um, uh, to BC, so fair play to them. Yeah, again, it, it is something that I think that you know they, they've they, you know the, the manager now is gone. Novikov is gone. Um, who would be in the hot seat now for a full time position? Because we did speak about Jelko Buvac that you know <laughs> people were speaking mm. when he came in, the sports director, that he might be the head coach. This actually could <laughs> be like we predicted this talk about last week that he could be the head coach. But you'd be thinking that they're going to try and get somebody in at least to get them through to the new year, or what do you reckon, Andrew? Well, I I suspect they won't be looking particularly far afield. Um, if you look at Kirill Novikov's appointment himself, we all thought it was just simply a stopgap until Bubac himself would take over first-team duties. I suspect Bubac will in the short term. Um, but you've got to remember that Dynamo's youth system is a very successful one. They've won the youth championship twice or three times, I think it is, in the last five years. So um, they do have a strong youth system. So the youth coaches will know a lot of their players. And I think possibly long term, or say, let's say medium term, shall we, after the winter break at least, I would be still surprised if they appointed somebody from outside. So I think Buvac from a short term will, will simply step in for now. Um because he has now settled in, at least. He's been there a while. So, I think, um, I don't think they'll look far afield. Okay. Um, 
they're playing at home, of course, against uh, Achmat Grosny tomorrow night, 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, would you fancy them to get the three points in that? Ahmad are good on the road, uh, not brilliant at home, but you know, you think that Dina would just have a little bit too much about them, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, you would think so. Um, Ahmad, as you say, they, they're a funny team, really, because I would say about two or three years ago, their form was completely reversed. They were the team, they were the Ufa of away teams. You go there to Grozny and think, Let's just get a point and and be satisfied with that. But they haven't won in quite some time at home. But like say away from home, um, this calendar year they've they've scored three goals. They scored four goals away to Kudus Sovietov last season. They they they've, they've scored goals. They've threatened, which is something Dynamo will have to look out for. Um, however, the difference between the Tbilisi game and the Ahmed Gorsi game is they they know what to expect with Ahmed, and they're in roughly the same stage of preparation. So. I think they should be better prepared to take them on. And, of course, they will be at home. OK. Um, so, yeah, they should be. OK, that, that's fair enough. Listen, we'll run through then next weekend's fixtures um, because we, of course, have a, a Moscow derby next weekend. Uh, Spartak playing against Tambov in... Um, well, not in Tambov, actually. It's in Sarant, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, at 2 o'clock on Saturday. You yeah. would be looking for, for a Spartak win that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. Um, Tambov have... I mean, they, they will be fighting to, to get out of the relegation playoff zone towards the end of the season, but I don't think they're going to get much further than that. Um, it's still up in the air about their home stadium. So there's, I, I think, I think Spartak really have shown that they can be clinical, whereas in previous seasons they, they couldn't. Even when they're not at the best, so Spartak surely, surely will pick up three points here. OK, uh, we'll quickly through this. Uh, Siska home against Lokomotiv on Sunday, 7 o'clock kickoff. So we're just going on air as they finish up. Um, that looks destined for a draw. Yeah, I mean, it's a derby game. So, of course, you're going to have to look to a draw first. If I really had to put my neck on the line, I think Tesco probably will edge this one. I think Loka still looking nervous. Even though they've won their first game in six against Tambor this this round I, I think Cisco would be stronger but you never know it could be a hard fought draw OK listen we're going to come back of course because uh, we'll come back to you in part four I'm going to ask you about D- uh, Krasnodar playing of course away against uh, Salonika so until part four you take it easy Andrew and we're back on to Andrew of course we're going to go out to the break right now we're coming back with Andy Mack who's going to show us what he has for us uh, so, listen we're going to start off as we mean to go on we're going to pump you up this is Macklemore and Ryan Lewis can't hold us back after the break with Andy Mack Capital Sports with Alan Moore Looking for a better way to get up out of bed instead of getting on the internet and checking a new hit me get up. First shot, come strut walking. A little bit of humble, a little bit of cautious. Somewhere between like Rocky and Cosby's for the game. Nope, nope, y'all can't copy up. Bad, moonwalking. And this here is our party. My posse's been on Broadway and we did it all way. Chrome music. I shed my skin and put my bones into everything I record to it. And yeah, I'm on. Let that stage light go and shine on down. Got that Bob Barker suit game and Plinko in my style. Money, stay on my craft and stick around for those pounds. But I do that to pass the torch and put on for my town. Trust me, on my I N D E P E N D E N T shit hustling. Chasing dreams since I was 14 with the portrait busting. 
Halfway across that city with the back, 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 Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give that to the people, spread it across the country. Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give it to the people, spread it across the country. Can we go back? This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Can we go But that's what you get when Wu-Tang raised you Y'all can't stop me Go hard like I got an eight away in my heartbeat And I'm eating at the beat like it gave a little speed To a great white shark on shark We want Time to go off a car Deuces goodbye I got a world to see And my girl, she wanna see Rome See, so make you a believer now nah, I never ever did it for a throne That validation comes from giving it back to the people now nah, Sing this song and it goes like Raise those hands, this is our party We came here to live life Like nobody was watching I got my city right behind me If I fall, they got me Learn from that failure, gain humility And then we keep marching Can we go back? This is the moment Tonight is the night Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that little bit of pump-up music. You know, that's something you'd have in a stadium to make everyone feel good. Like, you know, the, the ceiling can't hold us. But we just hope that the ceiling can hold us when we are on the upper deck. If you get what I mean. I think you do. Anyway, right, uh, folks, we're going to talk now about English Premier League, of course. A huge title decider today. 
But yesterday, of course, uh, Leeds got onto the winning track, battering poor El Fundam. Actually, it was a good match. 4-3, they won. Man United lost at home 3-1 against Crystal Palace. That was just awful. Uh, Wilfred Zaha uh, did, actually played quite well yesterday. Uh, Arsenal beating West Ham 2-1. And a big surprise, kind of over the weekend, Everton hockeying, hockeying West Bromwich Albion 5-2. Of course, Celtic won 3-2 against Livingston in the Scottish Premier League. So we'll ask Andy Mack about that in just a minute. Um, but the big one today, the big, big, big one today is, of course, Chelsea and Liverpool. Andy Mack, uh, Andy, just tell us, how did that end up, Chelsea and Liverpool? Because you're watching it for us. Yeah, um, full-time Liverpool won 2-0. Um, the first half was pretty atrocious watching if, I, if I'm being honest um, and then right before half time uh, red card for um, Christensen for Chelsea last man uh, in what I can only describe as um, an, an illegal rugby tackle as Mane went through <laughs> uh, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous he even tried the, the referee scarily booked him and then reversed that on VAR um, and then second half it, it was all over very quickly with um, Mane first with a header and then um, making the most of a, a keeper howler, um, which is becoming a, re- a recurring theme for Chelsea until they get a new one in. Um, and then um, Jorginho missed a penalty for Chelsea as well, just to compound it. So yeah, 2-0 final result. Listen, was it a fair result? Because we were kind of looking at Chelsea as being a team that had invested quite a bit of money and were looking to take a bit of a shot at the Kings. So was it a fair result, Andy? Um, after the red card, I, I mean, it was quite even up until that point. There weren't, there weren't really too many ch- clear-cut chances. Um, but after that red card, it changed a lot of things. Um, Chelsea were then forced into making a switch. Uh, Havertz then went off. Um, and after that, yeah, Liverpool didn't really look in a great deal of trouble until the penalty. And even then, you sort of felt that, OK, even if Chelsea get one, you thought that Liverpool could probably go up another gear again, um, but they didn't have to. Okay, uh, United losing three-one at home uh, to Crystal Palace. That's that, that's a bit of a dent in uh, all these buses, isn't it? <laughs> I think the bus missed a few stops, unfortunately, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think the bus. Went, I, I was thinking of the Italian job when the bus is hanging off the edge of the cliff, you know. Or, or, or potentially the the Father Ted version of Speed. On the milk float. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's 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 move. <laughs> okay. I love the culture reference. Okay. Go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. Okay. So United were crap, weren't they? Um. Yeah, absolutely woeful. Um. They they won't do anything. I don't think with the defence that they've got. I found it very strange that um Solskjaer and I don't know what was wrong with Wan Bissaka, but uh, playing uh, Fosun Mensa. Uh, Lindelof. Got, I mean, they had very little pace in the centre, and and it. Obviously, up against Ayu, Zahar, Schlup, um, they were always going to create problems for themselves at the back, and that's exactly what they did. There was a lot of last-ditch tackles going in. Um, it was very sloppy. And going forward, I mean, once Crystal Palace got that early goal, it was six, seven minutes in, I think, um, Andros Townsend scored. After that, Crystal Palace become a very, very difficult team to break down, um, and so it was. Although they did get a slice of luck with the penalty. 
Okay. Um, Everton seem to have caught a bit of form. They have an amazing lineup. They have, I think, they've, I think they've got one of the ve- like the best players, James Rodriguez, in there. Uh, they were looking at his, you know, his stats and the amount of like passes, passes completed, um, all, and and you know just how well he played. And he didn't sprint a single time, not one sprint. Well, yeah, um, he he really did look a class above uh, anything that Everton have had in in a long, long time. I don't know what that actually says about the Premier League, um, that he's come in, not really played that much for Real Madrid and looks the the part already. Um, And then that mixture of pace with Calvert-Lewin and uh, Rakalsen as well, it looks like it's going to be an exciting mix. Um, I guess this is what a a manager that can attract players in um, can can do for mid-table clubs in the Premier League with Ancelotti there. Uh, they've managed to sign a few players that I don't think would have signed for them if it hadn't been for him. And yeah, they look a potentially quite exciting prospect this year if they can sort themselves out at the back at the same time. Now, looking at uh, Spurs, so they they got a great sign in which, you know, we, we'd called all along, and I know that you said it even last week, that yeah, he would go to Spurs. He wasn't going to command United as uh, a lot of the paper talk was trying to lead us to believe. Um, Spurs, you know, did well today, but there does seem to be a bit of unrest in the camp in regards to Deli Ali. He wasn't even on the bench again today. Yeah, uh, I mean, there was a bizarre Mourinho interview where he was asked whether Deli Ali has a future, and he, he almost kind of refused to, to actually answer it. He just said, I, I want a balanced squad. Whether that was saying that Deli Ali uh, doesn't give much balance to his squad any longer with the formation that they'll likely play with, with two high wing backs. Uh, is is another matter. He did then respond saying, you know, he, he has a place. Um, whether that's going to be starting or not, I, I personally don't think so. And Deli Ali will be looking at that and probably then tri- getting his agent to try and get him a move away if he's not going to feature. Um, so very strange. And then you've got, um, if anyone's been watching the Tottenham documentary Thing you, You've got the likes of Danny Rose as well that's causing sort of grief behind the scenes and, and, and not happy when he's picked, uh, when he's not picked. Um, so, yeah, it's a very unsettled camp that you don't really see from the outside. Um, but clearly some, some big issues, maybe Christian Eriksen also was part of that problem as well before he left. Um, so, yeah, quite an interesting season ahead for Tottenham. Um, obviously, they got five goals today. Harry Kane with four assists and one himself and Son with, with the other four. So the potential's there with Bale and uh, Regalian coming in. Um, we'll see whether the uh, the camp manages to settle and they can string some results together or not. But an impressive display today. Yeah, and it's dead right, Andy, because I mean, looking at PSG, of course, are chasing Delhi Ali. They're, they're willing to splash the cash on him. Um, you know, and it'd be a very good move for him and a good move for English football as well. I mean, because he would probably, you know, he'd be playing with a, well, better players than he would be at Tottenham in, in one sense of the word. Um, but this does seem, just to stick on, uh, Jose, this does seem quite typical paint by numbers for him that he comes in, makes a few changes, falls out with a couple of players, and he's already almost like writing his own resignation letter. Um, it, it, it does seem to be a recurring thing that he, he, he does like to get a payoff before uh, his contract's out. Um, I, I, I don't know if he's deliberately unsettling players or whether it's just he's setting very high standards within training and everything else at the moment. And this sort of mixture of players now becoming more important than clubs and managers 
I think has kind of um, ruined his ethos of how he goes about managing a dressing room. Um, so, I mean, there's a number of players there, the likes of Kane, uh, Hugo Loris, now that you'd think would be the ones that he would turn to in that dressing room to, to settle it back down. And I think having a few new players coming in as well will help um, if they hit the ground running and can make a difference. But um, he, he doesn't really cut the same aura as he once did when he walked into the into English football with Chelsea as the special one. Now, I mean, his special ability seems just to be cheesing people off left, right and centre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially fans don't seem too happy. Of course, right now, Leicester are playing at home against Burnley. Half an hour gone, it is 1-1 one, one between those two. Uh, before we speak about transfer rumours, um, I want to say that... Uh, can you fill in the missing word, Andy? Because you won't be involved in the, the, the quiz tonight. So, Hibs hold Rangers to what draw? <laughs> um, uh, crap draw. Um, <laughs> thrilling, I, I, thrilling is the word I'm looking for. Um, the next one, Motherwell, what hapless Aberdeen? Make mincemeat. Kind of, yeah. Thump. Uh, listen, Celtic, of course, falling down to second place uh, with a game of hand, of course. Um, Rangers top of the table on 20 points. Celtic winning yesterday 3-2. Uh, in Scotland, like, looking at the Scottish league right now, um, is there any worries that with like COVID and so on rising that there might be in, um, interruptions in the league? Um, I, I don't just think it will be Scottish football I think it, it, all across Europe I think uh, that there is definitely going to be problems ahead now that numbers uh, France Spain etc having huge uh, huge surges in case numbers um, as long as players stick to the bubble obviously perhaps Scottish football might be more vulnerable to uh, a, a bubble being poured into a pint glass somewhere <laughs> along the lines it's the, the case that happened in Aberdeen um, yeah, then potentially Scottish football could be in trouble. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And they, they were still talking about fans gradually being introduced, potentially even from next month in Scotland. So um, there is hope for fans returning, but I don't think we'll see any kind of a full return, I think, this season, um, which you know is massively affecting clubs. Um, today, Aberdeen, who, who, as you said, were thumped by Motherwell, um, uh, look like they've had to, to to give in now for their their star defender, if you want to call him that, Scott McKenna, who is being linked with a move to Nottingham Forest. So this is having effect. They rejected seven million for him last season, and I think they've probably been forced to take a cut deal in order to to, to balance the books there. Okay, um, back down south to the Sassanucks and English uh, Premier League. Uh, what do you make of Spurs wanting to sign Jesse Lingard? For thirty million pounds, um, I think Jesse Lingard might have to pay thirty million pounds for anyone to sign him uh, <laughs> after last season. Uh, I, I, I per- maybe Mourinho sees something in him that I don't. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think that's even by the inflated British player prices, that's that's an absolutely ridiculous sum of money at the moment, I think, to, to be paying for, for someone who contributed very, very little. I think one goal in the whole season last last year for Manu. Um, I don't see what he would add to Tottenham at the moment. 
Yeah, I, it, it was a strange one, a very, very strange one. Um, okay, and of course, we, we did mention a few weeks ago about Georgino Wijnaldum, the uh, Liverpool and Dutch international that Barcelona were chasing, but he won't be able to move because of uh, finances, uh, because of the financial rules. Um, okay, let's have a look ahead to next week before we run out of time. Um, United away against Brighton and Hove. That's on Saturday. It's at 2.30 Moscow time. Everton away to Crystal Palace. West Brom hosting Chelsea. Uh, listen, that, that Chelsea game, you'd, you'd be looking for Chelsea to bounce back and give an absolute battering to the baggies, wouldn't you? Yeah, and West Brom have looked quite vulnerable. Um, they, they've started games sort of brightly, got themselves a goal, and then as, as the games have worn on, uh, maybe a little bit of rustiness in terms of premier Premiership um, level these days, um, and they, they're coming unstuck, but... You would expect Chelsea, and, and especially after a pretty lacklustre performance today, uh, will be looking to, to, to hit a big a big scoreline and also get their new boys off the mark as well in Timo Werner and, and, and Kai Havertz. Oh. So an important game, I think, in terms of their season in order to get back on track. Okay. Uh, on Sunday, uh, the two o'clock kickoff is Sheffield United against Leeds United. That's a one for the, uh, let's say, hipsters. Spurs at home against Newcastle United. Man City home against Leicester City and West Ham hosting uh, George Mendes Wolves. Um, Okay, we, there's of course the two games then on Monday evening. The huge one is Liverpool and Arsenal. That is at 10.15 Moscow time. Of course, Fulham are also kicking off at uh, 8pm Moscow time against Aston Villa. What have you picked for this weekend to have a look ahead to, Andy? What should people, uh, you know, sort of put a few hard shekels on? Um, so, uh, Crystal Palace, Everton, two teams currently with 100% record so far. Uh, five of the last seven meetings between the two sides at Selhurst Park have ended in draws. Uh, and both of them kind of in form at the moment. Um, I think the draws very good value there at just over um, three, three, I think it's 3.2 or just over two to one. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, Leeds have now hit 4-3 uh, a win and also obviously the reverse on the opening day against Liverpool. If you fancy a similar kind of scoreline um, over 4.5 or over 5 goals is 7.0 or 6-1 to 1 for their away fixture against Sheffield United right. I think both of these represent a bit of value and a bit of fun as well if you know, you're know you a neutral watching them Over over 5 goals, great? Over, yes, so you need over 4 goals, so oh, anything oh, for 5, five or above Okay, that is perfect. Andy, listen, thank you very, very much. We'll be back to you, of course, in part four to chat about world athletics. Uh, we're going to go out to the break right now with something that, you know, I think people start to groove a wee bit. And this is actually a birthday greeting. So, Anna, this is a, ha- a belated happy birthday to you. And uh, this is Jennifer Lopez, Love Don't Cost a Thing. We'll be back with our legal legal, Isol Cody and Alex B. after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. To the valley, knew that it was game when you looked at me. 
Pulling up your sleeve so I can see the rolly bling So you're later in the corner booth Grazing up a toast so I would notice you But your heart's a mess, think you ought to know Doesn't matter if you're falling out of control But you'd understand, baby credit cards are in romance So you're trying to buy what's already yours What I need from you is not available in source See inside of you that I really feel Doing way too much, never keep it real If it doesn't change, gotta hit the road Now I'm leaving with my keys, I've got to go around their kitchens or bedrooms or showers or baths or cars or wherever you are listening to that. Um, I can't say no, I listened to the to this song. I'm not a huge fan of J-Lo, but sure, you know, she gets the blood moving for a lot of people and we, we, we have to live with that, you know, all the chicas and chicos. So, um, right, a big issue, of course, facing sports especially. Um, I'm not even going to talk about education or business or that. Let's just talk about sports. Cancelled matches, postponed matches, for example, in the amateur leagues in Germany, they have basically written off this season and next season they're thinking, well, we won't even bother starting. In Ireland, unless in Dublin, for example, unless you were elite professional, so top rugby, top GAA, top soccer, 
you cannot play matches. You can only train with non-contact and in groups of up to 15. Uh, it's a tough old time and we don't know what's going to happen, of course, when they have to replay those games or play them on a future date or what's going to happen. A lot of legal issues around it and we saw them you know, here in Russia with uh, Sochi and Rostov. We saw it again this weekend, of course, with uh, Rostov, uh, sorry, with Rotor and Rostov. So there's a lot going on, a lot of issues that we have to try and face and here to discuss them with us is our legal eagle, Isolt Cody, because of course in the uh, Champions Cup, the, the basically the Rugby Champions League, there was a post- Spoma this weekend, the French team Castra pulled out. Uh, Isild, you're welcome on the show. Why did Castra pull out? Can you tell us? Okay, so this weekend, uh, Leicester Tigers, so I'm going to set the context. Leicester Tigers, obviously being an English club, Cast, obviously being French, were due to play each other in the quarterfinal of the Challenge Cup. And basically, what's happened here is not a case of Cast pulling out, but rather, they forfeited the game. Now, for anyone who read the initial news items as they came out, there was an announcement made by EPCR, so the organising body for the tournament, and they basically said in their press release that following a meeting uh, between officials from both clubs, chaired by a medical professional also involving um, legal advice, that the decision had been made that Cast would forfeit the game on the basis that they had three positive tests among players and one for a staff member out of 55 tests conducted on either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week in anticipation of the game. So I can understand they're not only travelling to play a game in a highly physical sport, But it's also a case that these are a high number out of one group of players and they're travelling to another country. So let's just stop and go, yeah, that seems reasonable. However, wouldn't it seem a bit strange if following this consultation, you suddenly discovered that there's no provision in the rules whatsoever for forfeiture of a game in these circumstances? So let's say, for example, you had an entire team come down with food poisoning and rugby has famous instances in a World Cup final where a team were plagued with food poisoning. Uh, uh, alleged food poisoning, let's put it that way. We know that it's alleged, alleged food poisoning. Yes. They were, let's put it this way. They did all get sick and no one went, OK, we're going to have to forfeit a game because you may risk other people getting sick if this is a vomiting bug that's contagious. Because here's the thing. The rules for forfeiting, per the rules for this tournament, and if there's a gap in the rules, basically... The Challenge Cup and EPCR, their rules say, if there isn't something covered in our rules, go back and take a look at the World Rugby laws of the game. So if you go through both, forfeiture covers situations where a team can't field a team for various reasons. So let's say you don't have enough players in a requisite position or you just don't have enough players available. But the thing is, CAST then came out and in their statement, which was a beautiful piece of not in any way subtle French anger, said, yes, we had these tests that obviously were positive, but this was out of 55. We can't find anywhere in the rules that covers this situation. And these positive uh, test cases were then isolating and the travelling party due to go to the UK had no positives. And the problem here is, six months ago, 
when games were having to be called off, it was all well and good to say, we don't know what to do. This is a new situation. There's no excuse when sports have had to restart for them not having put in place a provision which says, look, here's the minimum number of positive cases and we say this is a forfeit because we can't risk public health. Or say, you're travelling to another country, if you have X number of positive cases, we can't risk public health. But there's nothing there to deal with this. And I would imagine that tonight, other tournaments which are, particularly in rugby, and I, I would presume in other sports, are suddenly going, right, we need to put in place a very basic procedure where we say X number of players, X number of uh, support staff members, or X number, a percentage of the overall travelling contingent test positive, and we're not going to let you travel. Because let's face it, if Liverpool had known that there had been issues with Atletico at the start of COVID, would they have been saying, let's go ahead with the game? Well, this, we look, this, this is it, Isol. This is where, you know, at the start of it, um, we, we discussed this, of course, on Capital Sports 2.0. During the lockdown, we were covering this and looking at how things could work out and where it was fair or unfair. And, for example, should the game in Bergamo have gone ahead with Atalanta when we knew there was problems? We saw when um, we termed them cockwombles, fans were outside stadiums chanting and supporting their teams. We saw when Liverpool fans were celebrating winning the league all outside and it was kind of, oh well, you know, we shouldn't really do that when things were going on an all-time high. But the question comes back to that, why hasn't this been put in place by World Rugby? And you've been speaking with people inside the tent. I've been speaking today with a few people about the issue and I think the big thing for me is it could fall back, you could say this could all fall back to the governing body but I think in this instance where individual tournaments have X number of games left. They know how many games are left. They know that they've teams travelling. This isn't a case of all the teams are in one country. They know, knew that travel was a necessity for these games. They also knew that some of the countries had higher instances of COVID. All they had to do was even issue, before the games resumed, issue a simple notice to all teams and say, on agreement, here's what we're all going to do. So this actually does remind me, and rugby has experience in a situation similar to this, this time last year, and it's not to do with, obviously, COVID, but due to the adverse weather conditions in uh, Japan during the World Cup, obviously some games had to be cancelled, and Scotland as a team were up in arms. And everyone felt sorry for them because they were, they were particularly vocal about the cancellation of games. And the thing was... Straight away, World Rugby could come out and the uh, obviously the World Cup, within World Rugby, they also have a subdivision which is dealing with Rugby World Cup. They were all able to come out quickly and say, well, actually, all the teams knew about this because we had a contingency plan and we'd made them aware. So there's no excuse for any sport now not to have, at the very least, a COVID policy, a player welfare policy based on that, and then a policy which says, here's the circumstances in which we can't let a game go ahead. Like... We obviously had a big match in rugby um, at the weekend in Dublin, despite the fact that Dublin has technically gone back into a form of more restricted lockdown now, because they're elite sport, they were here, it was behind closed doors. And I think we just have to expect better of tournaments dealing with professionals, because they're the people who are getting to play. And for cast, I can understand huge frustration. The money, the opportunity... When it goes away and you don't have a fixed reason or a fixed point that you can go, 
okay, we understand why that was forfeited. This wasn't a team decision with EPC or let. Well, it doesn't come across like that from their statements. No, I mean, look. Let's let's put it this way. In Ireland at the moment, on Friday, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Irish government brought in a five-level plan. So from one, two, three, four, five. So three, obviously, you know, two is kind of okay. Well, you can do what you want to do. Three means things start to shut down. And as I mentioned at the top of this segment, that only elite sports can have. Um, you know, games, uh, training, amateur teams or grassroots teams, as they call them, can only have um, uh, up to 15 players or you know, people at a training session and in non-contact and so on and so forth. Dublin was hit, of course, with level three. The rest of Ireland is on two. The other 26 counties are on two. God knows what's happening in Northern Ireland. But in the rest of Ireland, the other 25 counties are on two. And we've had this weekend, of course, like championship matches going on, but also people testing positive for covid and, you know, players, and, you know, up in Donegal, for example, the northwest of Ireland, and, you know, the, in Galway, the west of Ireland, they had to cancel one uh, hurling semi final, the senior championship semi final. Um, where's the sense in all of this, Isold, and where, can, where is this going to go, do you reckon? I think, well, I suppose Ireland, in terms of our lockdown, we, technically, when they announced the five level plan on the Wednesday, Dublin were at what they were considering 2.5 and in the space of two days we then went to 3.5 which is impressive in a five level plan we managed to get our own two separate ones but in Ireland because of the way we have so many elite sport isn't just professional there's amateur elite with the GAA and I think there's a huge onus now being put on the GAA as an organisation and individual sporting organisations they are suffering because of the lack of supporters in terms of financial revenue and in terms of then the onus is on them to a certain extent to ensure that their players are training safely, playing safely. There's been some instances reported around the country where you have people who are in close contact with positive tests and are then going to training. And there was one reported case of a guy who then proceeded to play two amateur level games, one in rugby and one in GA. And I think... In a country where we have so much amateur sport that is continuing, these are people who are not footballers living in a bubble, not rugby players in a bubble. They're going back to work the next day after playing a game. There's a huge onus on self-responsibility and self-accountability. And I think when you put that in mind, you need, if we want sport to continue here and it to be viable for people to be able to perform and still go into their day-to-day jobs, there needs to be a bit more clear guidelines for what people need to do because I still find it obviously we know elite sport can go ahead but there perhaps isn't enough of a clear plan for how we can resume things a five level plan is all well and good but it only it's a very vague overall look at things it's like here are the rules but we'll vary them when situations arise without a guided plan to how things like sport can resume with more levels of supporters yes that's all well and good but it's more so about how athletes can perform and feel safe going back into their general day-to-day jobs because that's, I think it's a real concern and it seems to be happening. 
Okay. Isol, listen, um, thank you for that. I know you're going to be with us again in the next segment uh, and, of course, in our, our quiz. Uh, thank you very much for that. We're going to... Uh, Alex B is on the line with us as well because we're going to talk um, the North American Roundup. Uh, I think Isol probably can still hear us. I'm just going to say that, of course, her beloved Bengals were beaten, uh, spanked uh, in the Ohio Derby uh, 35-30 by the Browns on Friday night. So we'll just leave that there. Alex B, you're there loud and clear with us. Howdy, howdy. Okay, listen, um, we're down to the final four in the NBA, of course. It is the East Final and the West Final. Right now, Denver are up against the LA Lakers. The Clippers fabulously failed this past week. The LA, Clipper, the LA Lakers are leading 1-0 in that playoff game against Denver. And, of course, Miami and the hated Boston Celtics, hated by you, of course. Um, the Boston Celtics are, oh, be- <laughs> are behind 2-1. Um, what? So tell us about how the uh, NBA playoffs have started, these two uh, East and West finals. Start with the East. All right, so in the East, uh, I believe Miami Heat has won two games. Celtics won one game yesterday. And yeah, so far it's been pretty back and forth. And I really don't really know who's going to win this because, you know, both teams have like their own strengths, kind of. Both have their own, you know, ways that they play. You know, they, they're coached differently, they have different, you know, styles of players. But. You know, right now I'm more inclined towards the Heat because I've not really seen anything like the Heat in basketball. I've never seen like a team that wasn't really, you know, considered a playoff team go this far. So, you know, I just think it's interesting what the Heat are going to do. But in the West, I mean, the Nuggets came back from a 3-1 lead to the Clippers. And Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they built this team, you know, to beat the Lakers. This was the this was supposed to be the Laker you know, the the Laker beating team, but they, you know, they're the general manager who was like I remember last year when Kawhi and Paul George got traded like in this on yeah I believe on the same day they both signed to the Laker oh to the Clippers and yeah and they were just kind of thought thought that they're gonna win this without really doing anything that seemed to be the case for the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard like I mean Kawhi Leonard would have off nights Paul George would have. He's actually, he's kind of known to have to be terrible in the playoffs. Uh, you know, that's been the case in these playoffs, and that's why the Clippers have exited in the second round. But the Denver Nuggets, they're down one game to the Lakers. The Lakers won by 12 points. So it's not really a dominant win, but it's a, it's a, it's a win. It's definitely a win. So, yeah, I mean, I have the Lakers winning, but, you know, we'll see what the Nuggets pull out. Listen, you're asking on that with the Lakers, okay, because we're going to go to the break now in just a moment. But, um... Very few teams have stopped LeBron James in the playoffs, um, but he only got this, this this week, this past week, on uh, MVP votes. He only got sixteen first place MVP votes. You think that LeBron has enough in him to uh, lead the Lakers to another title? Uh, yeah, I think he has the teammates to, you know, to get to finish the job because what's been going on in Cleveland his whole like run in the finals. He didn't really get this, the kind of help that he's getting now from the Lakers. And it's good to see that, uh, you know, the rest of the team is stepping up. Dwight Howard, who hasn't really been this good in quite a few years. You know, he's been kind of a journeyman in the NBA. He was going from one team to the other. You know, he was kind of underwhelming. But now with the Lakers, he seemed to have found his fit. Same thing with point guard Rajon Rondo. They're all playing very well. Obviously, Anthony Davis, maybe the best center in the NBA, is on the Lakers. So, yeah, I mean, the... 
it's looking very good for the Lakers right now. Okay, um, Alex B is going to stay with us. We're going to be back after the break with more from him. And of course, then we're going to have a discussion about the world uh, athletics mess. We'll have Isol Cody, Andy Mack and Andrew Flint and Alex B, of course, in for that. So we're going to go to the break right now to chill out just a little bit before we start some more, um, let's just say, thorny topics in part four. We are going out with uh, train and rain drops of, or sorry, just drops of Jupiter. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with drops of Jupiter in her head. She acts like summer and walks like rain, reminds me that Stay on the moon She listens like spring And she talks like June 